Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is another one of those small towns that go rogue. If you thought Canadian Texas was small, it's got nothing on Berkeley Springs, West Virginia. Small talk is like playing tetherball against yourself, so let's save ourselves the misery and just dive into this case. Riley Crossman was a cute little blonde 15-year-old girl who had the perfect high school romance that was going on a full year, which is like a decade in teenage years. Her parents were divorced but shared her well. She lived in a tiny town in West Virginia called Berkeley Springs, a town so small that it makes Canadian Texas look big. They have a population of 602 whole people and only cover 0.34 square miles. I'm pretty sure I've been in Walmarts bigger than this town. Everyone who knew Riley loved Riley. I mean, the girl was excited about getting braces, freaking metal mouth traps, but she found the silver lining in them like she did in everything. But on Tuesday, May 7th, 2019, Riley Crossman woke up her mother, Chantal, up from a nap before an evening shift at work. She hadn't been feeling well, but she knew she could count on Riley to wake her up when she got home from school. And she did. School let out at 2.51 p.m. And by 3.30 p.m., she had walked back home in time to wake her mom up for work. Though her mother left, Riley's grandmother was at the house with her and her two younger brothers until 7.30 p.m. that night while her mom worked. According to Dateline, Chantal got home from working the evening shift at 10.30 p.m. and walked by Riley's room. Her door was closed but saw that the light was still on and didn't feel the need to go in and check on her. I mean, why would you? Teens will be teens. They're probably face deep into a group chat talking about things that none of us will ever understand. Seriously, I try to read my 12-year-old's text and I feel like they're speaking another language. But anyways, for all intents and purposes, Riley was in fact in her room. According to her boyfriend, she was on FaceTime with him until around 10.30 p.m. And another friend says Riley texted back and forth with her until almost midnight. Chantal got up the next morning and walked past Riley's room at 7.17 a.m. And she wasn't in there. Her mom assumed she had already left for school, though. Which I don't find weird. I mean, it was a little bit early, but what teen doesn't go to school a little early to socialize before getting down to business for the next seven hours? But when Riley hadn't gotten home by 3.30 p.m. that afternoon, Chantal called Riley's father and both tried calling and texting their daughter. But the text messages go undelivered and all calls go straight to voicemail. If the phone is dead, someone is either committing a crime or the victim of one. Facts. Google it. Naturally concerned, Riley's mom leaves work at 5 p.m. and drives to the school to look for her daughter, but Riley is nowhere to be found. When Chantal gets home about a half an hour later, she listens to her voicemail only to learn that Riley had never shown up at all that day. She had been completely absent from all of her classes. At 6 p.m., Chantal decides it's time to call the police and a missing persons report is officially filed for Riley Crossman. No Amber Alert is issued. They don't have any evidence that it's a clear abduction or any vehicle description. And because of that, no national alert is put out. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. That has to change. We soon learn that Riley tried to FaceTime her boyfriend at 5.22 a.m. that morning, but he didn't answer. 
The timing is weird. Riley lives less than a half a mile from Berkeley Springs High School, so you could assume that she walks, but she wouldn't have been walking to school until probably around 7.30, though we know she was at least out of the house by 7.17. The first period bell rings at 7.45, so what was she doing up more than two hours before? It's never mentioned on mainstream media, but it's discussed by locals that her room did in fact show signs of a struggle that her TV was knocked over. They also mention that Riley's glasses, which she normally wore to bed, were found in the family van. Maybe her mom didn't notice the TV on the ground when she walked into Riley's room that morning, but whatever. I found a photo of her bedroom on her Instagram, and it looks like if you open the door at all, you can see the TV, and it seems that it would be pretty obvious if it was knocked down but let's go on. Riley's family tells NBC News that her phone had absolutely no activity until that 5.22 a.m. missed FaceTime call to her boyfriend, which we'll learn later is a lie, but let's play along. Say that's the truth. What happened in those five hours and 22 minutes? And where was she when that last call went out? On May 9th, 2019, it's reported that Berkeley Springs Volunteer Fire have been going door-to-door and passing out flyers. Riley's father pleads with West Virginia Metro News that if anyone has her and they're worried that things have gone too far and they're afraid to come forward, that no one is going to be upset. Everyone is just worried and promises that if you bring Riley home, everything will be fine. Police start working on pinging her cell phone and start interviewing any and all of her friends that may have any idea of where Riley might have gone or what could have happened to her. Naturally, the first suspect is Riley's boyfriend, who also seems to be one of the last people to have had contact with her, but he's reportedly cooperating with police and was on a field trip all day on the day that his girlfriend went missing. Police then begin to dive into her social media accounts, hoping to find anything that they can work with, and I mean, it is interesting. 70-plus volunteers come together on their own accord to look for Riley or anything that might belong to her. On Friday the 10th, the Calvary has been brought in. Sheriff Bower says that the FBI, National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, West Virginia Fusion Center, regional law enforcement agencies, West Virginia State Police, Berkeley Springs Police, and Morgan E911 are all working together to find Riley and bring her home safely, which is phenomenal because admittedly their sheriff department is tiny. I counted 12 deputized officers and one of them is the sheriff himself. Good for them for reaching out so quickly and thoroughly. Not nearly enough agencies are willing enough to admit that they need outside support. By Wednesday, May 13th, Riley's been missing a week and they're no closer to knowing where she is than they were seven days ago. In solidarity with Riley's parents, her entire school and their staff wear blue and yellow in her honor, colors which appear to be their school colors. The sheriff's department organizes a search and asks for any volunteers who have the time to come out and help. He says to dress appropriately and bring water, which sounds to me like they plan on being out there for a while and they plan on going into the woods. 
The sheriff's department releases a statement that there will be a large coordinated search on the 15th to research wooded and uninhabited areas, bodies of water, vacant buildings, shafts, underpasses, backyards, and other secluded areas. They also ask that everyone check their own properties since they know it better than anyone else. At this point, Riley's boyfriend is a wreck. He posts on social media that he hasn't slept since she went missing, that he can't physically function without her, and that he needs her to come back and be safe. And May 15th comes, and something odd happens. As drones and canines and over 300 people look for any signs of Riley, the search seems to end abruptly, and many volunteers are told to go home. Did they find something? An employee of Kakapon State Park in Berkeley Springs says that authorities searched there but didn't find anything. Did they get new information and need to change their location or approach? Who knows? Our timeline is 5.22 a.m. to 7.17 a.m. Wednesday morning. That's one hour and 55 minutes. What happened to Riley in those 115 minutes? There are two main theories being thrown around at this point, that she was abducted and whoever took her placed that FaceTime call to Riley's boyfriend to throw off the timeline. The second is that she ran away and committed suicide. I think the second is a fair theory, but I think we can throw out the abductor calling her boyfriend idea. It was FaceTime, not a phone call. That's extremely personal. And if it was the abductor, what was his plan if he picked up? Whatever has happened to her, regardless of the happy relationship she was in with her boyfriend and the good group of girlfriends she had, Riley was in a really dark place. The day before she was killed, she posted a few photos of herself to her Instagram. She's beautiful, by the way, with the caption, you're like a penny. You're practically worthless. No one wants you. You're almost always in a dirty place. You're two-faced. You don't shine. And your value is very, very low. Later that same day, still the 15th, an employee at a local business says that the FBI came in asking to review security footage looking for a specific vehicle. Who were they looking for and what vehicle? This case has had so little information divulged up until this point that it seems like such a jump that they're no longer just looking in the woods or abandoned homes. They're looking for this vehicle on this road. But the next day, it happens. On the morning of Thursday, May 16th, Herald Mail Media reports that Riley's body is found in the 5500 block of Tuscarora Pike. And when I map this out, it's 40 minutes away from her home in the middle of a bunch of nothing, literally just trees. But there is one single house standing alone exactly where she was found. Obviously, I'll add a photo of this to Riley's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley. Authorities say Riley was found by officers from the West Virginia Department of Natural Resources severely decomposed and tossed over an embankment on a rural mountain road. She was not immediately identifiable, but they were able to match her clothing and the spacers she had in in preparation for those braces she was so excited about getting. She had been missing for nine days before she was recovered. Her body is sent to Charleston, West Virginia for an autopsy. However, it's noted that her body was in such a significant state of decomposition that it may be quite some time before they're able to determine a cause of death, if they can at all. The next day would be the day that this case explodes, takes a seven-point turn, takes my soul on a high-speed chase against traffic, and runs away with it. 
we find out on Friday morning that Riley's mother's boyfriend, 41-year-old Andy Jackson McCauley Jr., had been arrested and charged with Riley's murder. He's held without any bond. Even fucking photos doulos had a bond. But excuse me, the fuck? She had a boyfriend? Why wasn't he ever mentioned in any of these interviews or statements? Remember how they were checking security footages at businesses in the area? It turns out that they were looking for a green Dodge pickup, which was actually a truck he took off of the construction site that he was working at the day that Riley went missing. One of the last places they caught the truck on CCTV footage was when it passed a store on Tuscarora Pike. So police set up a perimeter around the area and found Riley's body just six miles away. Herald Mail Media says that Andy gave conflicting statements to police about when he left the worksite, how long he was gone, why he left, where he went, and the roads he took to get there. Basically, all of the things. Oh, and he lied about the fact that he likes the drugs. His mullet would give that one away, though. No one gets a mullet sober. And when I say he likes the drugs, I mean he loves the drugs. Literally, after some discussion, he told police his alibi was him leaving work to pick up some cocaine. But a coworker shit on that when they told the cops he already had cocaine with him when he left the work site the day Riley went missing. In another version, Andy told police he was going to pick up some Suboxone strips. And in another version, even said he shot up cocaine. Who shoots up cocaine? When your alibi is a felony, you've hit rock bottom. Because I'm nosy and a thorough son of a bitch, I browsed Andy's Facebook account, and his featured photo is a handful of shrooms looking like a whole lot of dicks. Not only is he a burning sack of shit, he's also really, really fucking stupid. It turns out that Andy had been under suspicion this entire time. He'd been a person of interest since day one, and police were even surveilling him at his work site. On Wednesday, the day before they found Riley's body, authorities had a cadaver dog sniff out that green work truck, and the dog alerted to the smell of human decomposition in the bed of that truck, specifically underneath the truck box. When they found Riley, she had some drywall mud material on both her right shoulder and right foot that matched the drywall mud found in the bed of the truck Andy drove from the worksite that morning. According to Herald Mail Media, police also found sheet metal screws near her body that matched ones found in the bed of that truck, Andy's work belt, and on the construction site he was working at. Basically, all signs point to Andy. And this wasn't his first run-in with police. In 2013, he was charged with delivering cocaine and conspiracy to deliver cocaine. In 2007, he decided to steal a vehicle. Then in 2018, he was charged with destruction of property, which was dropped when he paid for the damages. But that's just a few. Ladies, Google your man before you let him around your kids. Now, I'm not blaming Riley's mom because she didn't kill her daughter. And for what it's worth, her alibis for the morning of the 8th have all checked out. From taking her younger sons to school to a coffee date with a gal pal and getting to work at 9.45 a.m. But us moms have to be way more careful about who we bring around our children and let into our household. Riley's mom was dating a drugged-out felon while her own mother worked as a magistrate in Morgan County. Where in the world did these wires get crossed? For kicks and giggles, I'll also throw it out there that Riley's grandmother on her dad's side was retired Secret Service and FBI. Wrong child to take. 
A rumor went around that Riley may have run away because her stepdad was abusing her, and he wasn't her stepdad, but I have to wonder now, had she confided in anyone about something going on at that house? And the answer is yes. According to Riley's friends, she had told her mother that Andy had been molesting her, but her mom apparently didn't believe her. A friend of Riley's allegedly told her mom that Riley confided in her that she was now pregnant with Andy's baby. What the fuck? I cannot with this case. While we wait on autopsy results in Andy's next court appearance, Riley's viewing is held on Saturday, May 25th. Her father and stepmother purchased 800 lanterns to give to those who attend and asked them to light up the sky for Riley at 11.11 p.m. Her funeral was held the next day, Sunday the 26th. A few weeks later, on June 13th, a probable cause hearing is held where it's determined that there is enough evidence to proceed with presenting Andy's charges to a grand jury. The hearing lasted more than two hours, which is pretty long considering most people with this much evidence stacked against them usually just waive their PC hearing. But during these two hours, we learned some new details about the night slash early morning when she went missing. Everyone wanted to tell us about how she was FaceTiming with her boyfriend and texting with her friends until midnight, but failed to mention that she texted her boyfriend at 11.01 p.m. saying that Andy was in her room, and again at 11.13 p.m. saying that she was scared. So that shit about her phone having no activity until 5.22 a.m. is flat crap. Andy was there that night, which Riley's mom failed to mention in any of her statements. She said her mother, the magistrate, was there until 7 p.m. She said that she got home at 10.30 p.m. She never mentioned that her sleazy boyfriend had been there, too. And those texts about Andy being in her room were after her mother got home. Riley's mother got home at 10.30 p.m. that night and said that Andy was asleep in the living room along with Riley's two little brothers. She claims Andy came to bed with her, but he was in Riley's room just 31 minutes later. She either falls asleep at the speed of light or there's a lot of information missing here. He was so brazen that he felt like he could do whatever he did to her with her mother just feet away down the hall. Something tells me this wasn't the first time. To make this case even weirder than it already is, we learn that Andy also went on a drug run at 2 a.m. on the morning of the 8th. Any guesses as to who he bought the drugs from? None other than Riley's grandmother's husband. Yes, the magistrate's husband. It makes a lot more sense why this seemingly normal woman, Chantal, whose mother was an elected official, was dating a felon and drug addict. Remember, folks, don't be with a man you wouldn't want your daughter to marry or your son to become. Our kids base their definition of normal off of what they see at home or vice versa. You get it. But let's get back on track. Not only did the magistrate grandmother leave her three grandchildren alone with a felon drug addict between 7 p.m. and 10.30 p.m. the night before Riley went missing, she left him with a man who buys drugs from her own husband. Riley is 0 for 2 as far as the women in her life protecting her. 
After he purchased these drugs, he made 16 phone calls to a friend asking for a place to lay low in case anyone saw him buy the drugs. Bro, the dealer is the magistrate's husband. I think you're good. But hold my beer. We learn from Journal News that the FaceTime call to Riley's boyfriend wasn't the only weird phone call made that night. At 3 a.m., 3.24 a.m., and 3.52 a.m., Andy himself blocked his number using Star 67 and called Riley's cell phone. But why? Was what was done already done? Was he trying to find her cell phone to get rid of any evidence that might be on it? I don't know. Doesn't make any sense to me. At 5 a.m., Andy is picked up by a co-worker and they carpool down to the construction site they're working at. Obviously, this pile of garbage doesn't have a driver's license. This guy never sleeps. But then, how do we explain that 5.22 a.m. FaceTime call from Riley's phone to her boyfriend? Did he take her phone with him to the job site? If so, they could ping where that call originated from. Was it on purpose or was it an accident? Around 9.30 a.m. that morning, Andy, having no license to drive, takes that green Dodge pickup from the construction site, which he has never done before, and is seen back at Riley's home at 10.13 a.m. Had he hidden her body somewhere at the house? Did he go back to get it? I mean, he would have had to. It's not like he loaded it into the back of his friend's truck and just hung out with her in the back for a few hours before heading back to her house for no reason. Riley's family had been walking around a house where their dead daughter and sister was hiding somewhere out of sight. You can imagine that they have since moved out. A little over two hours later, the green Dodge pickup is caught on a home surveillance camera just two miles from where they located Riley's body. At 1.40 p.m., he's back at the construction site. So what happened in those four-ish hours? The whole radius around the home, the construction site, and where Riley's body was recovered is around 40 miles. So what in the free fuck was he doing? Let's speculate. Say it takes him about half an hour or so to get home. He's there at 10.13. It's two hours until he's seen two miles away from where they found Riley's body. So maybe he does some drugs, dozes off, and gets Riley's body from wherever he hit it and gets back in the truck an hour or so later. Then he takes back roads and drives slow as to not get pulled over, getting to where he dumped her body at around 12.45 p.m. He finds a place to dump her, but dead weight is hard to move, so it takes him a hot second. He throws her over the embankment when he knows no one's around and then gets back to the work site at 1.40 p.m. Okay, that actually makes sense. But Riley's case goes really quiet, so quiet that community members of this small town are concerned that justice isn't going to be served. Rumors start going around that Riley's mom and brothers moved to Georgia, claiming they used victims' fund compensation to pay for the move. Drug-dealing grandpa gets arrested for a probation violation, it's about fucking time, and gets thrown in the exact same jail as the man he sold drugs to within hours of him killing his granddaughter. Friends of some corrections officers who work at the jail that Andy and dealer grandpa are at say that some family members have actually been visiting Andy in jail. But after what feels like a fucking eternity of silence and a lot of speculation that Andy might get away with murder, on January 7th, 2020, a grand jury formally indicts Andy on murder and concealment of a deceased human body. He's scheduled to be arraigned by a circuit court judge later that month. On January 23rd, he's back in court where he pleads not guilty, and his trial is set to begin on May 5th of this year. 
We are still waiting on a cause of death for Riley and the justice that she deserves. As the trial begins, you know that I will be the first person to let you know. For any and all photos pertaining to Riley's case, check out her highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley. If you like your podcast ad-free, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime, where for one whole dollar a month, all of your episodes are ad-free. And if four episodes a month just isn't enough for you, for five dollars a month, you get a bonus episode exclusive only to Patreon members. This month's exclusive episode was on Aaron Hernandez. Join me tonight on my Instagram at the Heather Ashley for Crime Talk Live, where you go live with me and we discuss what you think happened to Riley Crossman. I'll be bringing you a brand new case a week from today, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out. <laughs> 